Hello again, I'm Chris Evinger, and welcome to Nightfall Audiobooks production of The Sleepwalker by R.L. Stein. This is a Fear Street novel that is book six. I have not read this book before, so it's going to be a new experience for me. I've heard good things about it. It's about a girl who sleepwalks, and apparently there's witches and a magician and a hypnotist involved, and there's probably a twist at some point somewhere in the story, and it wouldn't be R.L. Stein if there wasn't. For a series update, this is my end of June, all of July, and beginning of August book. The fall book will be Halloween Party. I haven't read Halloween Party either, so that one's going to be fun for everybody. And after that, we will probably do Wrong Number, and then Silent Night. And that should conclude the year. I'm away on vacation right now. I'm at my uncle's house, uh, very far away from my family. And I'm using his studio space to record tonight. So if I sound a little bit different, it's because these parts were recorded at a different location. A studio update. My tables are built. The walls are drywalled and they are ready for a mover's blanket or a quilt or a down comforter or something like that to deaden the sound. Sometime tomorrow, I will be out at local thrift stores trying to find those exact materials, down comforters and quilts and heavy blankets and that kind of thing. My computer is set up, my monitors are installed, I need to do some more configuring on them, and then I can produce content at home instead of going to studios and begging and borrowing and using someone else's space to record. I release new episodes every Monday at 10 o'clock in the morning, Eastern Standard Time, and I have until June scheduled right now. If you want to get a hold of me or drop me any kind of feedback, I'm on Twitter, at Nightfall Audio or on Gmail, nightfallaudiobooks at gmail.com. Let me know your thoughts, ideas, anything you have floating through your head. What should my next book be? Do you have it and I don't have it? Could you please send it to me? That kind of thing. I would love to talk to you guys. I see you guys are subscribing and I thank you. And keep on doing that. Tell your friends. And I will catch you at the end of The Sleepwalker for the next series update. Until then, have a good one. Hi, I'm Chris Evinger, and welcome to Nightfall Audiobooks production of The Sleepwalker by R.L. Stein. This is a Fear Street novel, number six. Prologue. As pale as moonlight, Myra seemed to float across the lawn. Her long, coppery hair billowed in a gusting night breeze. Her silky white nightgown shimmered in the soft light, flapping soundlessly in the wind. Eyes gently closed. Myra moved effortlessly, almost ghost-like, barefoot over the tall grass. A chorus of tree toads began to chirp, but the noise didn't stir her. A few seconds later, the song ended as abruptly as it had begun. Now the only sound was that of her breathing, hard and irregular, the only sign that she was alive, that she was real, and not a beautiful, moonlit apparition. She reached the low hedge at the end of the lawn and turned, as if guided by some inner radar. A car turned onto the street and rolled quickly past, the sleepy driver didn't even see her. Hidden in the shifting night shadows, Myra floated the length of the hedge. With her long, flowing red hair, her pale white skin, the soft, almost luminous nightgown billowing around her, she looked like a figure from a painting, one of those large Victorian portraits that hang in museums. When she finally opened her eyes, she didn't know where she was. She looked down first and saw that her feet were wet and heavy from the summer dew. Despite the warmth of the night, she felt chilled all over. I'm in my nightgown, she realized, and then, I'm outside, but where outside? I was having the strangest dream. The house suddenly loomed up in front of her, as if it, too, could float across the grass. I'm in my front yard, in my nightgown. 
Wisps of black clouds traced over the full moon. The shadows around her suddenly faded and moved. She realized she was cold, cold not from the air, but from fright. She stared up at her house. It looked so different, so big and unfriendly. The windows were dark. No one was awake inside. No one knew she was out here, standing in the cold, wet grass. How did I get out here? Am I awake or asleep? What is happening to me? Chapter 1 One Week Earlier Mrs. Barnes yawned as she set the plate of scrambled eggs down in front of Myra. Goodness, I wake up more tired than when I go to bed. She was wearing her white nurse's uniform. Myra noticed that the seams on her mother's white stockings were crooked. Myra looked down at the soggy yellow pile on the plate and made a face. Why do I have to eat scrambled eggs so early in the morning? It looks like puke, Myra's sister Kim said with the typical directness of a ten-year-old. Don't say things like that at the table, Mrs. Barnes said, yawning again. Even if they're true. But that's what it looks like, Kim protested. Why can't I say it? Kim was wearing red short shirts and a plain white t-shirt ready for day camp. You need a big breakfast, Mrs. Barnes told Myra, ignoring her younger daughter. You're starting a new job this morning. You'll need plenty of energy. Yeah, a little cholesterol to get me going. Thank you, Nurse Nancy, Myra said, reluctantly poking her fork in the eggs. Nurse Nancy, Nurse Nancy, Kim repeated. For some reason, it struck her funny. Having a mother who was a nurse had certain drawbacks, Myra thought. One of the major drawbacks was all the healthy food you were forced to eat. Mrs. Barnes took a sip of coffee. Oh, no. Wouldn't you know it? A small brown splash of coffee stained her white uniform. She rushed to the sink to get a wet cloth to wash the stain off. Myra poured about a pound and a half of salt on the eggs, and it didn't taste too bad. I can't believe in going to work today, she grumbled. Some summer. Some summer. Some summer, Kim mimicked her mouthful of cornflakes. Stop repeating everything I say, Myra snapped at her. In retaliation, Kim opened her mouth wide, showing Myra the wad of chewed-up cereal inside. I can't believe you got this job at all, Mrs. Barnes said, returning to the table with a big wet spot on her uniform breast. Hey, thanks for the vote of confidence, Myra said, laughing. No, that's not what I meant. I never thought Mrs. Cartier would hire you, because of me. She very carefully took another sip of coffee, holding the saucer under the cup. I took care of her when she was in the hospital sometime last year. Oh, what a pain in a you-know-where. Where? Kim asked, then burst out laughing. Mrs. Cartier never stopped complaining about the hospital, or about me. Nothing I did seemed to please her. She even called my supervisor in and told her I was a terrible nurse and I was trying to kill her. Can you imagine? Myra couldn't imagine. She knew how hard-working and serious her mother was about her job at the hospital. Ever since her parents had divorced and Myra's dad had left, the nursing job had been the most important thing in Mrs. Barnes' life, except for Myra and Kim, of course. So, when I heard you had applied for a job with Mrs. Cartier, I didn't think you stood a chance. Myra's mother continued, sipping coffee. I guess maybe she doesn't realize that you're my daughter. Myra dropped her fork. She suddenly had a heavy feeling in a pit of her stomach. You mean she's a horrible old witch? Why did you let me take this job? I'm sure she'll be very nice to you, her mother said quickly, realizing maybe she shouldn't have told Myra about Mrs. Cartier's hospital stay. You said she was nice when she interviewed you. Yeah, she was very sweet, Myra said. And she's paying such a generous salary, Mrs. Barnes said, taking her empty cup to the sink and rinsing it out. I mean, five dollars an hour just to straighten up, prepare her lunch, and read to her in the afternoon? Come on, Myra, you lucked out. I guess, Myra said, deciding to give up on the eggs. She drank down her glass of orange juice in one gulp. No guessing about it. We really can use the money, you know. Your father, wherever he is, isn't contributing a penny. 
A bitter frown crossed Mrs. Barnes's face, making her look older than her 39 years. Why can't I have a job? Kim asked. There were puddles of milk on a table all around her bowl. Myra had always been neat and careful. Kim was the opposite of Myra in just about every way. You do have a job, Myra teased, being a good little girl. You're stupid, was Kim's reply. A horn honked out on the street. That's your day, campus, Mrs. Barnes cried, running out the front door to signal to the driver that Kim would be right out. Is your camp bag packed? Do you have everything? Yes, Mom, Kim said, grabbing up the canvas bag and heading to the door. How about shoes? Don't you think you'll need shoes? Mrs. Barnes asked, pointing. Kim was leaving for camp barefoot. A few minutes later, Kim was on her way with camp bag and shoes. Mrs. Barnes returned to the kitchen, where Myra was rinsing off her plate and glass, having taken advantage of her mother's absence to dump the remainder of her eggs into the garbage disposal. I've got to get to the hospital, Mrs. Barnes said, straightening her white stockings. You all set for your job? Not after what you told me, Myra exclaimed, drying her hands. Mrs. Katia will probably treat me like a total slave. She'll chain me up and force me to scrub her fireplace with a toothbrush. You and your wild imagination, her mother said, sighing. I never should have told you that story. I forgot how creative you can be, and how you're always exaggerating, making things worse than they are. Is that what you think of me? Myra asked, a little hurt. Mrs. Barnes kissed her on the forehead in reply, picked up her bag, and headed toward the front door. Do you want a lift? No, thanks. I want to walk, burn off those eggs. Mrs. Katia lives on Fear Street, doesn't she? You're certainly brave this morning. Yeah, she lives back near the lake, but I don't mind Fear Street in the daylight, Myra said. I mean, what could happen? Chapter 2 Oh, my beads! Hazel, Mrs. Katia's black cat, swiped at Myra's beads. They broke and clattered over the kitchen floor. What happened, Myra? Mrs. Katia called from the dining room. Oh, nothing, just my beads, Myra said, bending over to retrieve them. The cat, alarmed that Myra had dived down on all fours, ran out of the room. I love these beads, Myra thought. Walker, her new boyfriend, had given them to her the night before he had left with his family on vacation. They were glass, pale blue like opals. She had promised him she'd wear them every day and think of him every time she saw them. But now... Oh, your beads broke? Mrs. Kati appeared in a doorway. Can I help? No, I think I got them all. Myra climbed to her feet, the beads in her cupped hands. Let me restring them for you. Leaning on her cane, Mrs. Cartier held out her hands, which were surprisingly smooth and didn't look like an old lady's hands at all. With her smooth white skin, dark red lips, and coal black hair, Mrs. Cartier looked much younger than her years. Only the cane gave away her age. She looked very summery and colorful in a long flower print skirt and butter yellow blouse. No, that's okay. Really, Myra protested. I insist, Myra. I'd enjoy it. I love stringing beads. Please, give them to me. It's good to keep these old hands busy. Myra reluctantly handed the beads over to Mrs. Cartier. The old woman gave her a very pleased smile and started back toward the dining room with them. Pour out some more soup and come finish lunch with me, she called. It was Wednesday afternoon, Myra's third day at Mrs. Cartier's, and to Myra's relief, the two of them were getting along really well. Mrs. Cartier was moody sometimes, and she had a tendency to repeat herself a lot. But she was constantly complimenting Myra, telling her how pretty she was, how beautiful her long red hair was, when the sunlight caught it, telling her what a pleasant reading voice she had, even complimenting her on the simple lunches she prepared. It's just canned chicken noodle soup and a ham and cheese sandwich, Myra had protested, embarrassed at Mrs. Cartier's extravagant praise. The simple things are the best, don't you agree? The old woman said, giving her a warm smile. This may turn out to be an easy job after all, Myra thought, staring out the kitchen window at the lake, 
surrounded by the lush green Fair Street woods. Is that someone swimming in the lake? She squinted her eyes to see better. No, there was no one there, just her imagination. She was always trying to make things more interesting than they were. After lunch, Mrs. Katia would take a short nap on the living room couch while Myra cleaned up the dishes. The nap never lasted more than an hour, but it gave Myra time to watch TV, to think about Walker, and to explore the house. The house was furnished with surprisingly modern furniture, black leather and chrome chairs and couch, a low glass coffee table. The walls were lined with floor-to-ceiling bookshelves. Mrs. Katia loved to read. Now that she was older, reading made her eyes tired, so she loved to be read too. What amazed Myra about the house was the astounding collection of knickknacks. They covered the tables and counters of windowsills, were arranged in special glass display cases, and stood beside the books on the bookshelves. Myra found colorful vases and ancient-looking pieces of sculpture, porcelain figures of strange-looking people, antique jars filled with shells or feathers or colorful powders, carved cats and birds of wood and stone, a pair of tiny white gloves stained brown with age, rimless eyeglasses and a monocle faded, pressed flowers, a ceramic chicken's foot, several carved moon crescents, a stuffed white owl. Myra tried to imagine why Mrs. Cartier had kept some of these things, but it was impossible to figure out why someone would keep a small stuffed mouse on the piano next to the papier-mâché pig's mask and a bronze figurine of a boy with one arm. What an amazing collection, Myra had explained to Mrs. Cartier on her first day in the house. The old woman just shook her head and chuckled. Just junk, she said. Just an old woman's junk collection gathering dust. When Myra tried to ask her more about it, Mrs. Katia changed the subject by saying, It's time for our walk now. Every afternoon they took a short walk by the lake shore, Mrs. Katia leaning on her cane with one hand, sometimes holding onto Myra's arm with the other. Walking such a long distance on the marshy ground was obviously difficult for the old woman, but she insisted they do it without fail every afternoon. For some reason, this became Myra's least favorite part of the job. She knew she should enjoy the fresh, cool air off the lake, the bright sunshine, the chance to get out of the cluttered old house. But the daily walks made her feel uncomfortable, on edge, nervous. And as she would stare out over the green-blue water, Myra felt chilled, even on the hottest days. Now as she helped Miss Cartier around a thick clump of weeds that leaned toward the shore, the old woman got a faraway look in her eyes. Mrs. Cartier, are you okay? Staring into the sparkling lake, Mrs. Katia didn't seem to hear her. I lost Vincent here, she said softly. Vincent? My son. He was only three. He shouldn't have run from me. He didn't know how to swim. She turned her head from Myra and sighed. Sometimes I think I see him out here. All these years later, and I still see him. She gripped Myra's arm tighter. When did it happen? Myra asked. Mrs. Katia didn't answer. She remained silent for a long while, and then finally turned back toward the house. Let's go in. It's time to read now. Nicholas Nickleby by Charles Dickens was the book Mrs. Cate wanted Myra to read first. It was a huge brick of a book. Myra was sure it would take the entire summer to read it. She had been forced to read Great Expectations in school that year. It was okay, she thought, but not anything she'd choose to read. She was surprised to find that she was enjoying Nicholas Nickleby. It was actually pretty funny. Mrs. Cate sat up very straight in the black leather couch as Myra read, stroking Hazel, who stayed awake at her side as if listening to Myra read. Sometimes Mrs. Cate closed her eyes. Myra wasn't certain if she was just resting them or if she had dozed off, but she continued reading anyway. It was so quiet in the house. The only sounds were the gentle purring of the black cat, Myra's voice, 
and the ticking of the bronze clock above the mantel. Myra, I'm a little chilled, Mrs. Cotte's interruption startled Myra. She thought the old woman was asleep. Would you run upstairs and bring me down a sweater for my dresser? Yes, of course, Myra said, closing the book and getting up quickly. It's so hard for me to get up and down the stairs these days, Mrs. Cotier said. She had already said it three or four times that afternoon. It's my legs. I'm in pretty good shape, except for these old legs. Yeah, you're in great shape, Myra thought she hurried up the stairs. She has such amazing skin. Her face is as smooth as mine. How does she do it? Myra walked through the dark hallway to Mrs. Cotier's bedroom at the end of the hall. She looked around. The room had dark blue wallpaper with tiny white stars that seemed to twinkle. There were two dressers across from the queen-size bed, side by side against the far wall. Which dresser had the sweaters? Myra picked the dresser on the right and pulled open the top drawer. Wow, how strange. The drawer was filled with black candles, dozens of long black candles. Myra reached in and picked one up. She sniffed it, surprised by its sour scent. It smelled old, musty. The wax felt smooth and hard in Myra's hand, and the wick was as black as the candle wax. What weird candles, Myra thought, picking up another one. Why did Mrs. Cotier have black candles? And why did she keep them hidden away in a dresser drawer? A loud shriek behind her made Myra drop both candles. Her heart pounding, she turned to find Hazel, the black cat, staring at her, green eyes aglow. Okay, okay, Hazel, no need to make such a racket. I'm coming. Myra replaced the black candles in the dresser drawer, found a sweater in the drawer below it, and hurried to bring it downstairs to Mrs. Cotier. All the while, she could feel the cat's eyes on her, admonishing her for looking where she shouldn't have looked, accusing her, warning her. Chapter 3 Myra said goodbye to Mrs. Cotier and stepped outside, closing the heavy door behind her. She took a deep breath of fresh air and looked up at the sky. Heavy, dark clouds covered the sun. I better get home before it starts to rain, she thought. She adjusted her Walkman, turned it to Q100, the station that played the best music, and started down the flagstone walk to the street. She couldn't get the black cat out of her mind, the way it treated her when she saw her holding the black candles, the way it stared at her. Stop, Myra, just stop, she scolded herself. You're letting your imagination run away with you once again. She walked faster, letting the loud music in her ears sweep away all of her thoughts. Just think about how much money you'll have at the end of the summer, she told herself. Think about how you'll be able to buy new clothes before school starts and not feel guilty about it. She drifted with the music, walking in rhythm to it, not thinking about anything, starting to feel good, letting the insistent pounding of the synthesized drum carry her along the street. For some reason, her father's face flashed into her mind. How long had it been since she'd seen him? Over a year. She wondered if he had changed, if he looked different. Why hadn't she heard from him? Because he doesn't care, she told herself. Because he doesn't care about any of us. That's why he left. She scolded herself again for exaggerating. She forced herself to think about something pleasant. Walker. She realized she missed her new boyfriend a lot. He was away for two weeks. Two whole weeks. She remembered the night before he left. Those long, long kisses. She drifted back into the music, turning up the volume. The louder the music, the less chance of troublesome thoughts entering her mind. Go with the flow, she said aloud. Go with it. Just go with it. She was about to turn onto Fear Street when a hand grabbed her shoulder. Oh! Startled, she pulled the headphones off and spun around. Link, why did you grab me like that? He grinned. I've been calling you for half a block. Oh, I guess I had the radio too loud. She reached down and clicked off the Walkman. Well, what are you doing here, Link? His dark eyes playfully stared into hers. He tossed back his wavy black hair. 
He was wearing faded jean cutoffs and a sleeveless blue t-shirt. Even though summer was just beginning, he already had a tan. Okay, okay, so he's really good looking, Myra thought to herself. The problem is he knows it. I just wanted to talk to you, Myra. I don't think so, Link. I really don't want to talk to you. She turned and started walking. She couldn't believe she was being this cold, this mean to him. But what choice did she have? She had broken up with him a month earlier, and here he was, still following her around like a sad little puppy dog. I think we said everything there is to be said, she added without turning around. He ran to catch up with her. He grabbed her arm. I don't think so. I still have more to say. Write me a letter, she snapped. Wow, she even surprised herself with that one. She pulled her arm out of his grasp. Let go, Link. Look, I'm sorry. I don't want to be mean to you, but it's over. I'm going with Walker now. You've got to leave me alone. But Myra, he flashed her his pleading look, the one that used to melt her heart every time. Now she thought he just looked silly. How could I have cared about him so much, she asked herself. He's so superficial. If we could just sit down somewhere and talk for a few minutes, I'm sure we could straighten everything out, Link said, running in front of her to block her path. He's so much like his sister, Stephanie, Myra thought suddenly. The two of them could be twins. They're both so dark and good-looking, both so energetic. They both talk so fast, move so fast, always seem to be excited about something. There's nothing to straighten out, just let it drop, Myra said, sounding as exasperated as she felt. Since she'd broken up with him, he'd been bombarding her with phone calls, following her everywhere. Look, Link, I've been working all day, I'm tired, and I want to get home before it rains. But you and me, that's much more important than a little rain, he said, walking backwards, staying in front of her. He's so conceited, she thought. He should go out with himself. There's no more you and me. I told you, I'm going with Walker. He's a dweeb. What? Look, you're the dweeb. Don't start calling him babyish names. Now get out of my way and let me get home. He obediently stepped aside. She hurried past him. But Myra, if you just give me a chance, he called after her. Have a nice life, she screamed and started to run. You'll be sorry, he yelled more sad than angry. You'll be sorry, Myra. When she turned around, he was gone.